This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is GoPowerCat.com publisher Tim Fitzgerald with great news to share with our valued 24-7 sports VIP members. As a way of saying thank you, a subscription to a CBS all-access commercial-free plan is now included with your 24-7 sports VIP membership at no additional cost. Watch all of your favorite shows on demand along with exclusive access to GoPowerCat's award-winning and one-of-a-kind coverage of Kansas State sports. Stream more than 10,000 episodes all access originals and live TV, including NFL on CBS games. Enjoy the CBS all access commercial free plan, a $99 and 99 cent annual value for the lifetime of your 24 seven sports VIP membership. It's an incredible added value for our subscribers and it's time you probably take advantage of this deal and become a go Powercat member. And remember to subscribe to the PowerCat Podcast at your favorite podcast provider, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Now, here is your PowerCat Podcast. The following is a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat pregame podcast, presented by Robbins Motor Company, and it starts right now. Now, let's go to the WTC Gig Powered Studios. Here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Kansas State looks to rebound from a 27-24 setback at Texas last Saturday as Coach Chris Kleiman's Wildcats welcome Coach Neil Brown's West Virginia Mountaineers into Bill Snyder Family Stadium for Saturday's 2.30 p.m. game, which airs on ESPN and can be heard across the 39th station K-State Sports Network. K-State comes home with a 6-3 overall record after the Longhorns ended the Wildcats' three-game winning streak. The Cats are 3-3 in Big 12 play. West Virginia is coming off a 38-17 home loss to Texas Tech, which dropped the Mountaineers to 3-6 and 1-5 and and in the league. That one Big 12 victory came early this season at Kansas. Welcome to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat pregame podcast, sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. K-State fans, visit the Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat location on Anderson Avenue in Manhattan for an exciting test drive. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the PowerCat pregame podcast. K-State is giving up 21.1 points per game, which is second best in the Big 12 and 32nd nationally. A Wildcat defense has finished in the top 25 in scoring defense nationally. 
only twice since 2003. The K-State defense also ranks third in the nation in third-down defense, surrendering a mere 26% conversion percentage. Meanwhile, the Wildcat offense loves to run the ball, but K-State's running game struggled last week at Texas when the Horns used a variety of run blitzes to fluster the K-State offensive line. Maybe West Virginia will try the same tactic, but here is what K-State coach Chris Kleiman said has troubled the Mountaineers' defense throughout this season. They've been kind of bitten by the big play, you know, and, and everybody in college football worries about getting beat by the big play, and, and we've had our share of big plays against us, and um, we've, we've limited some of those, which has obviously helped us in the overall scheme of things, but uh, uh, I think that's probably their biggest thing that they've had hurt them is, is the big play and getting down quickly in a couple of games. And uh, that's why you know, I, I caution the guys again, you can't compare scores, you can't worry about what was done last week compared to what's going to be done this week. It's, it's all in your preparation slash process. It gives you an opportunity. And um, you guys probably know better than I do. Uh, because you've, you've seen it, but West Virginia has had some success against Kansas State in the last few years. Now let's get going with the Go Powercat roundtable session. Tim Fitzgerald, Riley Gates, D. Scott Fritchin, and from our Kansas City Bureau, that's what we're going to call it, Ryan Wallace. Hey, boys. Welcome back to the uh, pregame show. Another week. Another week. Coming off a loss. Wally, what were your immediate thoughts after that K-State loss at Texas? Uh, the tale of two halves. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, you know, Kansas State came out um, really unlike I, I honestly expected them to come out. Um, I, I thought that there might be a little bit of a hangover with with the way that the cats were rolling, um, you know, and, and kind of figured that it might, they, they might need the defense um, to spur some turnovers to get the offense going. And instead, uh, you go back and watch that first quarter, and that offense, led by Skylar Thompson and company, um, really did some some great things against a, a very talented and athletic Texas defense. Mowed right through them, and things were looking great. And then somewhere along the way, uh, just before halftime, and certainly right after halftime, uh, things really stalled, and it got back to the same K-State team um, that we'd seen being plagued in the middle part of the year, which was a defense that was uh, doing their darndest to, you know, try and, and create turnovers and, and get off the field. Um, but at the same time, Texas was able to turn up some clock a little bit. And unfortunately, K-State's offense just completely went silent. And, and again, uh, the, the defense can only do so much, and you could see them getting worn down. And by the end of the game, when K-State, you know, really needed to, to mount some sort of uh, – uh, you know, wall there at the goal line. Obviously, they weren't able to. And um, even if they had had time, and I'm sure you'll, you you might address this, even if they had had time, uh, the way that offense was executing, it, there's no possible way uh, that Kansas State was going to go the length of the field on that Texas defense. So, unfortunately, you know, it was just uh, one of those weird games where, uh, especially in a road environment, you can't give up momentum swings like that in case they did. In the weekend that K-State's going to wear the script helmets to steal from athletics, Texas flipped the script on K-State. They ran the ball, they wore out the defense, and there wasn't much left of that K-State defense late in the fourth quarter, was there? No, no, not at all. And yeah, I, they were worn out. I, I just that, That's kind of the unfortunate part. I didn't think the defense was... 
terrible. Um, I you could, only give up 27 points. Yeah, I mean, it was a, another good outing, but it, it, it felt a lot like those Baylor and, and Oklahoma State losses where you thought they were doing some good things at times. You thought, hey, they're not having a, a horrible game. And then after a while, you know, if your offense is only on the field for a minute, a minute and a half, whatever it was at times for K-State, your defense barely has time to get a drink in that amount of time, mm-hmm. and then they're just going to be dead when they go back onto the field. D. Scott Fritch and you and I talked before that Texas game, before you guys headed to Austin and I went to heaven, Las Vegas, uh, that we kind of thought that if K-State came out and punched Texas in the mouth, Texas would break. Well, we were wrong. That might happen this week, though. This West Virginia team seems like they are on the verge of breaking. They've struggled through a tough year, and they're not very experienced, and they're getting some guys some valuable experience, but it's not been easy going for the three and six Mountaineers. No, it really hasn't. You know, there's a couple things to talk about here. First of all, K-State secured bowl eligibility its fastest since 2014. On the other side, you got Neil Brown, a first-year head coach at West Virginia, and after winning three of four, they've really gone into a tailspin. West Virginia is riding a five-game losing streak. It scored less than 21 points in each of the last four games and has lost three of those contests by no fewer than three touchdowns. And they've only scored six touchdowns in the last four games on offense. Um, it's it's tough sledding for them right now. Yeah. They have 27 players that have earned their first career start this season. The defense includes 20 players who've started at least one game in their career. Nine true freshmen and 12 redshirt freshmen have played the season. So they're an inexperienced bunch. I, I guess you give Neil Brown a little little bit more time. Um, makes you grateful for um, Chris Kleiman and the job he's been able to do in year one. I think we all know why Dana Holgerson picked up and moved. Yeah. <laughs> he might have been fired if he had stayed this year. Well, you know, we'll get into that with Chris Anderson, the publisher of our Mountaineer site here after this roundtable. But it's an in- interesting situation. And Ryan Wallace says, West Virginia team can't score points. They're dead last of the Big 12 in scoring offense. They're... I think ninth near the bottom of scoring defense. It's not been a good formula. And if they play to what they have been, although they've hung around some games, if you've watched them, you know, before they really kind of hung around at Texas and they've done some good things, but this should be a game. K-State gets away early and kind of just keeps them at hand. Uh, Am I wrong? No, no, not at all. I mean, there's really only, uh, one element of West Virginia that has had consistent success throughout the season, and that's been their ability to pressure the quarterback. And because, uh, go figure, um, get ready, K-State fans, another possible three-man front on the defensive line um, coming at K-State. But this is a three-man front that, you know, uh, all, all due respect and credit to Vic Coning for the way that he's been able to get his guys uh, to pressure the quarterback because, uh, Vic Koning's very good at, at um, scheming um, pre-snap to get guys in areas that will confuse offenses and things like that. And so they've been able to manufacture some pressure. Um, I think they're top 25 in sacks in the country and number one in the Big 12 in tackles for loss. The problem is on the downs and you know areas when they're not able to get pressure, um, they get absolutely gashed. And uh, beyond that, um, you know, going back to what I was saying last week about K-State's defense kind of getting hung out to dry uh, and just worn down, that's been West Virginia this year. You know, their offense does not possess the ball very much. You know, Neil Brown is a guy that uh, comes from air raid roots, so obviously they're going to 
chuck that ball around a lot, and that's why when you look at their rushing numbers, they're putrid. I mean, Letty Brown is their leading rusher with 227 rushing yards on the season. Uh, You know, Kennedy Brooks is a guy that I think has some potential, and even he is only running for 2.9 yards per carry this year. So when you have an offense that isn't on the field, um, no matter, you know, how much progress this defense is making, um, unfortunately, uh, they just don't have uh, the ability, I think, to stick around with a, a program like Kansas State that's going to run it down their throat angrily coming off the loss. Uh, and they're going to have a defense that they're going to have to go against in Scotty Hazleton's group that, again, is going to be fired up after the way um, that they weren't able to get the win last week. It's an interesting defensive lineman Vic Cooney uses. He's got a four-man front, but his second defensive end is listed as a bandit, which pretty much self-explanatory. can do whatever they want to do with him, so they can flex into a three-man front with two more linebackers and the bandit and a, a nickel behind that, exactly what has given K-State problems. But West Virginia just doesn't have the athletes of a Texas or a Baylor, and maybe even an Oklahoma State defensively. Riley, it they're going to try to replicate what Texas did. I don't think they're going to be able to do so. They're not Texas physically. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the question that was posed on the boards this week. People were asking, is it really the three-man front that K-State can't block, or is it just the fact that the three-man fronts that they faced, Baylor and Texas, have had you know better athletes and, and bigger guys? And I don't know, you know, you're probably right down the middle of this game. If West Virginia comes out in that three-man front like we would expect them to and, and give K-State some fits, I think K-State's going to block well against it. I think K-State's going to run the ball effectively. But I don't think that necessarily means the problem is solved against against the three-man front. I think it's just a matter of K-State's offensive linemen are better than West Virginia's defensive linemen. So it's a little bit of both in the fact that they still struggled to, uh, to block against it. But a lot of the times it is having the better athletes on the other side of the ball. And this game's going to be a little bit uh, more in favor of K-State. So I think it's really telling, though, if West Virginia comes out in that three-man front and K-State can't handle it, then you have major issues. Agreed. My simpleton analysis here is that if K-State runs the ball with great success like it did in previous games, the Wildcats will win, D. Scott. And I know that Brian Anderson, the running backs coach for Kansas State, probably is not very happy about what happened at Texas. He's had some injuries with Gilbert and Brown, but they've got to be pretty darn hungry after what happened at Texas. Yeah, well, one thing that Connor Riley mentioned to me on Wednesday was the fact that with that three-man front and four-man front, they're able to alternate that with the same personnel, which I find really interesting. The thing that Connor Riley also talked about was the fact that he would rewatch the Texas game and watch the first two yards, and it would look like there was daylight for K-State to be able to have some success. He hit pause on that, and then when he was started up again, he would see offensive linemen fall off their blocks, and then the rest was history. they got to be able to sustain their blocks against this West Virginia team. Brian Anderson told me that his room is very hungry after the Texas game. You know, K-State's on pace to finish top 10 all-time in single-season rushing, but that 26-carry, 51-yard performance against Texas left so much to be desired. But one important thing to keep in mind with K-State's running attack, which Skylar Thompson says is able to keep them on schedule, comes with this fact. K-State has averaged 248 rushing yards in six wins and only 100 yards even 
in its three losses. So running the football, having success is going to be so key for this offense again. Ryan Wallace, Texas took away Skylar Thompson in the run game. I thought that was crucial. K-State isn't about the quarterback run game like it was in previous seasons, but it seems to also be an essential ingredient to make the stew tasty on the offensive side of the ball. They've got to get Skyler back involved. Yeah, I mean, they, they absolutely do. And, you know, I think it starts not only um, with the blocking of the offensive line, but, you know, I, I think that the fullbacks can do a better job. I think the running backs can do a better job, you know, when they're not getting the ball of, of paving the way for Skyler and, and also, you know, the receivers getting out there and, and holding their blocks a little bit better, although I think they've been fairly consistent this year. But, you know, you're right. I mean, you don't want, especially this late in the season, um, against a, a West Virginia defense that will be active. You know, they, they do a good job of gang tackling. Um, and you just hate to see, you know, Skyler get caught the wrong way or get in the bottom of a pile. So um, as much as you don't want to see it, it has given an element um, to this K-State receiving core because, you know, if K-State can't run the ball, you know, straight with the running backs, um, then it's hard, as we talked about, you know, ad nauseum earlier in the year for these Kansas State receivers sometimes to separate. Um, but when you can, if you can't get the running backs going on the ground, if you can get Skylar Thompson going on the ground, either way, it's going to, you know, allow the defense to be a little bit more honest um, and not just completely take away the passing game. They'll have to, to honor Skylar Thompson on the ground. And so uh, this is a good team to try that against, you know, with West Virginia, because as B. Scott said, you know, that they play so many younger players on defense that sometimes they're not so assignment sound. Um, so I think this will be, uh, you know, an, op an opportunity um, for K-State's offense to, uh, you know, allow Skyler to do that. But um, with Texas Tech and Iowa State looming, uh, you, you don't really want to test them too much. Nope. Let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. Riley Gates, A.J. Parker is done for the season. We're not going to see him again. Maybe in a bowl game. I doubt it, though. Yeah, um, seems iffy. Yeah. And. I thought the secondary did all right. I, you know, sure, they got beaten some on some plays. That's a really good crew of receivers for Texas. I'm not sure A.J. would have made a difference. I I was encouraged by what I saw. Well, you know, they had to obviously go to the, the flea flicker there to, to even get that first touchdown in the air. And so um, I think that said a lot about the way that K-State was playing um, in terms of its past defense. I thought KV on McGee played very well. I thought the beginning of the game, he was a little shaky. I thought he was, you know, maybe given a little bit too much of a cushion. Um, and Texas receivers were, were getting really easy catches. But I thought he tightened up throughout the game. Uh, made it a little bit tougher and you know they didn't, weren't necessarily picking on him as much I was really worried about Walter Neal in this game because I thought they would go after him considering he's undersized against a lot of these Texas guys um, and because you know Kavion is no scrub he's just the number two behind AJ um, and then here comes Walter Neal in the game that I thought he was going to get picked on and he makes an amazing interception so um, yeah they, they were an impressive unit in, in this game I thought and you know facing a, a West Virginia team this weekend that obviously is is not having all that much success on offense just in general um, and now comes into this game with a little bit of a quarterback controversy or not necessarily controversy but questions Austin Kendall was replaced in the game last week against Texas Tech and now they're not really sure who's going to take the snaps Neil Brown has not um, said one way or the other so 
Yeah, I think it's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty good game for them to really get, you know, game two under Kavion's belt starting, and you know, really adjust to this without AJ for the final two games and then the bowl game. Yeah, they're not going to have AJ Parker. We know that. D. Scott, how does Van Malone and his crew feel about this? Van Malone um, is grateful for the opportunity because, as Scotty Hazelton continues to install a little bit and a little bit more of his of his defense. He has some depth that he's been fostering and working with throughout uh, this season. You know, with Kevion McGee and Daryl Patterson, Daryl Patterson was able to be exposed to big games like the Mississippi State game. And then you have McGee against against Texas, and he had a, uh, a team-high nine tackles. Um, and having that experience going forward, Van Malone believed – would really benefit them. Uh, he said they understand it's the next man up. It's a little bit of an adjustment. The guys are working really hard at being in the right place. It's all a technical aspect to it. For K-State's defense, Ryan Wallace, it all comes down to the red zone. It all comes down to third downs. They're good when it counts, and I'll give them that. They might give up some yards, but the points don't add up. The third downs don't get converted, and it's been kind of remarkable. This is a good defense that I think is going to give a faltering West Virginia offense a lot of trouble. The interesting thing is I think that there are a couple of receivers for West Virginia that are dangerous players. Um, you know, George Campbell is a former five-star recruit, uh, a Florida State transfer um, that is now in Morgantown and K-State will have to battle with on Saturday. You know, they're hopeful that they'll get T.J. Simmons back. Hopefully they'll get Sean Ryan back. Sam James is coming off a, a contest against Texas Tech where he had over 200 yards receiving. So they have some guys, even Winston Wright, the true freshman, um, is starting to come along and it has shown an ability to be dangerous. The problem is what Riley said, which is the quarterbacks haven't been able to get those playmakers the ball, and therein lies the problem. So it's a, it's a wonderful test, I think, for K-State's corners to continue to grow in the absence of A.J. Parker, um, and they do have some experience, like D. Scott said, back there. The other thing that's great about this game is I don't think that it will put a whole lot of pressure on the linebackers um, because I think K-State's defensive line will be able to do the job on their own against a very shaky West Virginia offensive line, um, and so therefore the linebackers you know, aren't caught having to cover guys coming out on wheel routes or anything like that. It, you know, you have the defensive line kind of take care of the run game. Um, linebackers can do their thing, and, and corners can play their man coverage like Van Malone loves. And I do, I agree with you. I think that this is going to be, um, I don't want to say an easy one for K-State because West Virginia does have some, some dangerous weapons out there, um, but one that certainly doesn't scare you like last week. D. Scott, when you talk about the K-State defense, they are red zone demons. When a team gets in the red zone, they might score, but it's going to be three at a time more often than not. Yeah, it's really incredible. You know, I was asked Chris Kleiman about it this week. K-State's the only team in the nation that's allowed opponents to score 100% of the time when they travel inside the red zone this season. But the news gets better for the Wildcats because of this. K-State ranks 11th in the FBS in the fewest red zone touchdowns allowed this season. They've surrendered just 12 touchdowns in 22 red zone trips, which leads the Big 12 Conference. And that is important because the Big 12 released earlier this week that teams are averaging 33.8 points this season, which is a five-year high for the league and is on pace to be the fifth highest offensive scoring average in the 23-year history of the league, which is significant. So for K-State to be able to hold them 
off out of the end zone is is paramount to this defense's performance. That's pretty remarkable just because, you know, in the way that offenses produce anymore, how good they get feeling, you know, once they're grooving. Once they get inside that 20, it's almost a guarantee. Like, all right, we're going to get a touchdown here. It's just a matter of how many plays it's going to take. But K-State, you know, like that stat says, buckles down, doesn't give in as easy. That's that's pretty remarkable. Well, the, the downfall of the spread is you can't spread them out quite the same in the red zone in K-State. Uh, this staff and the previous staff have taken advantage of it. Let's move on to the biggest topic of the week. This one uh, caused a great deal of controversy between fans, young and old. Um, I fan the flames. Uh, you're welcome. The the K-State helmet, the alternative helmet they're going to wear this Saturday with the Cats logo resurrected from the 88 season, the one year that K-State wore it. It's a cool logo. But it brings back bad memories for my generation. Let's just go around the table. It's called a round table. Ryan Wallace, <laughs> what are your thoughts on the Cats script helmet they will wear against the Mountaineers? This is a, this is a loaded question here, Fitz. So I'm going to try and be quick. I'm going to try and be quick with it. But um, do I love the idea of alternate helmets? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You know, I think that they're they're great. Um, do I like this particular? alternate helmet um no and and it's not because of of you know i don't go back that far to you know where where those years resonate with me so it has nothing to do with that um i just am not a huge fan of the look of it um i'm also a big fan of when i turn the tv on you want to know who who you're watching and if if you're not a k-state fan um if you're a recruit somewhere else uh, you might like the helmets but you know, there are a ton of cats out there. There's a ton of wild cats. Um, so anything I think that is able to show uh, K-State on it, whether that's the power cat, whether that's, uh, you know, some form of the old willies or just the, the large K with the state underneath it, which is my personal favorite for a vintage look, um, I would prefer that. Um, I would also prefer that if you're going to do it vintage, you might as well go all in and do the actual purple helmet with the white cat script. But I know maybe, you know, Nike wasn't able to get the purple helmets just in, yet in time. So um, overall, I don't have a huge problem with it. But if it were my preference, would not be my first go-to alternate helmet of the season. I love it. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's really cool to to see the alternate, to, to see them going back to something they used to do. You know, um, Chris Kleiman talked about how they're honoring 150 years, so they're going back. Um, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of controversy considering how bad that team was the year that they that they wore them as their um, official helmets and I thought Gene Taylor had a really good response to this he did a story with Kellis Robinette and the you know Wichita Eagle Kansas City Star and he said you know we're trying to go back and and honor our history and and kind of you know part of our of our roots and honestly we were a pretty bad program before coach Snyder got here so really any helmet was going to be um, kind of along those lines of of bringing up bad memories so the way I see it is you kind of go with what what fans really want and when when uh, k-state broke out the uh the hoodies with the cats on them in in spring football that picture started getting around then people wanted that hoodie then they slapped the cats on the front of the white helmets against baylor fans love that so i i think all around it, it was a really cool change and, pe- and people like it 
I don't necessarily want to see it multiple times a year, maybe once at most uh, in a season. I think that it'd be good to stay true to your roots, but I think it's a nice change up and I'm, I'm excited to see him in person and, and in action. Now I'm intrigued to find out if D Scott Fritchin has an opinion on alternate <laughs> helmets. I really haven't paid much attention to it this week. That's what I thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm a recruit, I, I like to see something fresh and something different. And I kind of follow uh, Chris, Kleiman's line of thought in that regard. Also to echo what Gene Taylor said, if you go back through the history books about any any helmet you pull out, K-State had not had success in that helmet prior to the Paracad. And um, so I think it is good to use an alternate helmet once in a while but I'm kind of with Wally not not all the time and make it something that distinguishes that this is K-State. I agree with everyone. I'm just going to get along today. No, <laughs> look, I, I agree with Ryan Walsh. I'm not thrilled about the Cats logo, but people have been. They've been snapping up the merchandise. That's not to say the same wouldn't happen if they brought out the old Fightin' Willie, which was never on a helmet, and used that as the retro look. I think that was a solution. None of the helmets have a good history from the time they started stop or stopped wearing leather. I mean, they just don't. The helmet I prefer is the Big K over the Little State. Well, the Doug Weaver era was just as bad as the Stan Parrish era, so that really doesn't solve that problem. I just would have gone with a different retro look. I love alternates. I want alternate helmets. Uh, I was happy with the white helmet with the purple power cat on it. I just would have gone with a different retro look and probably would have just created a whole different helmet to you know, salute the past without being the past, if that makes sense. Fitz, I think you nailed it, though. I think the, the real solution was just going with leather helmets. <laughs> just if you want to be physical and tough, make a damn point. <laughs> just go out there with a purple leather helmet, maybe a matching handbag. Pound it, the pound the stone with your head. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, before we wrap up this roundtable, let's let our basketball beat writer, who knows all things, by the way, Riley Gates, sum up a recruiting class for 2020. The early signing period was on Wednesday. K-State signed four, and boy, I like this group a lot. Yeah, you know, uh, Bruce Weber signed all four of his, of his commits. Uh, Nigel Pack was the first commit in the class, followed by by Luke Kazuki, and then Selton Miguel jumped in, and, and Davian Bradford, the seven-footer, um, capped it off. And this is, you know, easily his his best class at K State. I can point to numbers, and I can point to what they do um, on, in terms of on the floor. Uh, easily the best uh, group of talent he's brought in with the Wildcats. And you know, honestly, probably if you compared it, and I haven't done this yet, but if you compared it to his Illinois classes, I bet it'd be up there with with what he brought in there too. It's a very impressive class. It ranks 13th um, in the country at the time we recorded this show it ranks 13th nationally um, and, and fourth in the Big 12 I don't really know if there's too many more moving parts so K-State should stay in that top 15 when the class is all said and done and you know it just perfectly it fills all the holes kind of that you need and it gives you a really good balance in all the positions you get a point guard in Nigel Luke has the ability to to shoot from the outside um, and he can he's kind of bigger so he can play defense get rebounds Selton is that 
that perfect balance of everything. Um, and they compare him to Xavier Sneed a lot. And then, you know, you get your true seven footer in Davian and maybe if they get him into the system, they get him adapted real quick. He can make an impact um, as opposed to a lot of the big men that K-State signed in recent years. So very good class by K-State. Obviously it doesn't guarantee anything, you know, um, you got to get him on campus and you got to get him to, to trans to transition into college basketball, but this is a good start and um, really builds the team for future seasons. I like this class. It has all the parts I like. A true point guard, that sharpshooter that K-State has really lacked, an athletic three, and the seven-foot rim protector. I love this class. And I, I think at the end of the day, they're going to have another opening. I think a couple guys will be off this roster. We'll keep an eye on it and see what happens. <laughs> well, that does it for the roundtable session. And I ask Chris Kleiman at Tuesday's press conference what he sees from this West Virginia offense. Tremendous skill. Get the ball on, on the perimeter really fast. Uh, that's what I see as my biggest concern is they have great skill players, wide receiver, running back position, and they get the ball to them in space and create one-on-one opportunities uh, that we have to do a great job of not making it only a one-on-one opportunity that we have enough um, hats to the football that we can uh, do a great job of tackling and keeping the cup. But uh, I think they're really an explosive offense with, with tremendous skill kids. And now we bring in Chris Anderson, publisher of Ear Sports, our companion site on the 24-7 Sports Network. Get over there for your West Virginia coverage and your Bob Huggins coverage. He was here one year, and people still love Bob Huggins so much. It's incredible, Chris. Uh, he's an easy man to love. Uh, some people say easy man to hate, but I haven't found that yet. So You know, he's the most misunderstood guy in college athletics because when he was hired, of course, K-State hired him, and he was still suffering from the wake of his DUI and all that um, and his controversy that was blown up at, at Cincinnati. And as soon as you meet the guy, you're like, oh, hell, I love this guy. He's awesome. And he is. He really is. But his press conferences are great. You can't understand a word he says, but, you know, that's hugs. Yeah. This Mountaineer football team, uh, I honestly thought would be a little bit better than this. But uh, we now understand fully why Dana Holgerson hit the door running. He was beating the posse out of town right when there wasn't much in the cupboard uh, for the Mountaineers to use. The town pool is just down right now in uh, Morgantown, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think – it really came down to the way Dana Holgerson's contract was structured was he was looking for a fully guaranteed extension. West Virginia was countering with basically guaranteeing this year and not much else, which, you know, big flashing red warning sign. Yeah. Hey, you're going to get fired after this year if you don't win 10 games. And he knew that. And he knew this team couldn't win 10 games, no matter how many grad transfers he tried to add to fill the gaps. So he got a fully guaranteed contract for the same amount that West Virginia was offering at Houston, which is his home. Uh, so, it, you know, I think a lot of West Virginia fans have hard feelings. Me personally, I, it makes complete and total sense, uh, especially for a man with a family and kids. You got to do what's right for you and your family. So made complete sense. I like Coach Holgerson, but now you look at what he's doing at Houston. I, I think in the long run, West Virginia – Got out on top on this one. I like Neil Brown an awful lot, and you can't judge much from this season. That's my view from the outside. What's your view from the inside? Absolutely. I think uh, when when Holgerson left, it was a little, oh, this is late in the game. You know, who's still available? What's still available at this point? Because it was 
after Christmas, almost New Year's, most of the coaching carousel had already happened. And then all of a sudden you see the list. And right there, uh, you know, it came down to two choices. Neil Brown, who had been in the mix for a lot of high-profile jobs, including Kansas State, and Luke Fickle, who's doing very well at Cincinnati. So I think once it got down to those two options, most everybody in Morgantown was like, hey, this we might end up coming out on top in this yeah. trade. This is great. So getting Neil Brown that late in the game and seeing what he did at Troy and building and, and being a young and upcoming coach like that uh, has fans – excited for the future well if i recall he struggled his first year at troy and then got things going pretty quickly so i think good things await the mountaineers but they need to do it on the recruiting trail kind of restock the cupboard so to speak and particularly quarterback just break down this quarterback situation right now because it's kind of a mess yeah so that was the biggest issue um obviously when he got to morgantown there was jack allison on the roster who had just had Maybe one of the worst one-game kind of um, you know trial runs as a quarterback ever at West Virginia just <laughs> looked completely outmatched in that bowl game, and so and then behind them he had a, a true freshman that is splitting time with baseball and football, so he was probably not the answer either. Um, Neil Brown went out to Oklahoma and got Austin Kennel, who has been a perennial backup to Heisman Trophy winners. And the hope was that once he got his chance, everything, he would just excel on the field. And all spring long, he and Jack Allison battled for the starting job. And when the spring was over, Neil Brown didn't name a starter, uh, which was to be expected. I think most people thought it might go into the fall to at least try to keep both of them around and not transfer right after the spring. But then something happened, and at the time, I caught a lot of flack because I said, again, another big flashing red warning light. He went out and got another transfer quarterback, which to me said, he, you know, the quarterbacks that he has aren't going to get the job done, which is a problem. And they went and got Jarrett Daigie from Bowling Green, who had started the previous year and a half, you know, as a true freshman and as a true sophomore, had decent stats. But saw a lot of promise in him. Uh, younger brother of Seth Daigie from Texas Tech, and they thought he could sling it around. Problem was he had to have a minor procedure in the summer, and then the NCAA didn't make their decision on whether he'd be eligible until the week before the season started. So then the hope was, hey, let's just try to get by with Kendall, see if he's the answer, and try to redshirt Daigie and then have him uh, you know, battle for the job next spring. But the Kendall experiment has not worked out as planned. And now we're into the four-game stretch where a player can still play and still redshirt. And Daigie's in the mix. Um, There's been no sign yet as of this evening. This is Wednesday afternoon. uh, And we're recording this of which way they're leaning. Neil Brown just says, I got a plan. We'll see. Um, I have to think Daigie's got to get a shot soon. But So some of the stuff, you know, some of the things that Brown has said indicate that he might stick with Kendall because he's keep, he is continuing to say our problems on offense are not a quarterback or our biggest problems not a quarterback. It's this and this and this and this. So he's almost setting it up to kind of keep with Kendall and, and keep going with it. 
That's interesting. You would think with the four-game redshirt rule available, you would just play the next guy, get him some experience in the system. That that will be yeah. fascinating to see where they go. I know this, just looking at the raw numbers, West Virginia doesn't score enough points, and they get scored on too much, and that adds up to losses. I mean, it's just a bad equation right now for the Mountaineers. Uh, when he mentions other problems on offense, what is he speaking of? Oh, the big, I agree in the fact that the biggest problem is that West Virginia cannot run the ball at all. They are last in the Big 12 by a large margin in uh, running the ball, which I think is, is part of the reason why there has been some grumblings about, uh, you know, how fans are about Brown and about the offense, yeah. about the play calling, uh, because that was supposed to be a strength. West Virginia came into this season with three different running backs who had started a Big 12 game and had run for over 100 yards in a Big 12 game. Yet they're averaging, I believe it's two yards per carry this season, maybe less. Uh, just abysmal, horrible, you know, 128th out of 130 teams type numbers right now. And one of them's transferring, one of them's been benched, and now they're turning their attention to a true freshman that just got on campus in the summer to see what he can do. Mm. It's, it is more than just the quarterback, and I think the biggest issue is the run game. Well, if you can't run the ball, um, no matter how whacked out the offense can be, you still got problems. And uh, that's that's been very true for Kansas State. When they run the ball, they're good. When they don't run the ball, they're less good. Uh, but overall, it's been a pretty good team. They've, they have moved the ball at times, particularly on the ground. So define this West Virginia defense and what it does well. Young, inexperienced, um, volatile. Uh, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad. Uh, West Virginia lost all three of their starters at the three safety positions to transfer after the spring, um, or two of them after spring and one after the fourth game this year. Lost, I think they're up to three linebackers out uh, to injury. And at cornerback, they only have four scholarship, healthy scholarship cornerbacks on the entire roster, two of them true freshmen that arrived in the summer. So it's young, it's inexperienced, it's not very deep. So we've seen a lot of times this year where they play well, especially to start again. This Texas Tech game last week was an anomaly. Nobody could figure out what had happened there. But, for instance, I think the best example of this was Texas. Uh, where West Virginia and Texas were locked in a three-point game heading into the fourth quarter. The West Virginia defense, full of true freshmen uh, at all three levels, were getting stops on the Longhorns and their five-star recruits and uh, you know juniors and seniors all over the field, yet the offense couldn't do anything for West Virginia. And then they turned the ball over three times, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, the defense is done. They're worn out, and what was a three-point game turns into – uh, you know, I think they were down three scores at one point. And that's the same thing that happened with Iowa State. It was 14-14 till the defense just kind of gave out, and it was 38-14. So defense is young, inexperienced, volatile, not very deep. 
Let's wrap this up with kind of the mental approach. How is this West Virginia team doing in the locker room? Because that tech game, uh, you know, kind of a, a peer football program, and the fact that it's it has also struggled with a new coach at times, and they come in and kind of kick your teeth in at the start of the game, that can't help the attitude in the locker room. What? How's this team approaching this? Oh, you're going to make me say one of uh, Neil Brown's two F words. Uh, and <laughs> the two F words that Neil Brown doesn't like to say are, well, he stopped saying one F word, which was freshman, because he said that's not an excuse anymore. We're, you know, seven games in, seven, eight, now we're nine games in, but at the time it was seven or eight games in. Uh, freshman is an F word he's not saying anymore. Um, but then he's uttered another one after the most recent game, which really caught a lot of people off guard, and he kind of, touched on again this week and that was fragile he openly admitted that that it is a concern of his and that is something he and his coaching staff discuss on a weekly basis that this is a very young team that is going through a hard time and a lot of these kids are you know true freshmen sophomores registered freshmen that have succeeded at every point in their life thus far and now are failing and maybe not even individually failing but as a team are failing on the biggest stage possible which can have, you know, hurt your psyche a little bit. Well, that's very interesting stuff. It's Chris Anderson from our peer website on the 24-7 Sports Network. Chris, I appreciate you joining us today on the PowerCat pregame podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. That'll do it for this segment of our pregame podcast. After this break, we've got our analysts all lined up, Marcus Watts, Brian Hanley, and Kelly Stewart from Vegas. We will return on the PowerCat pregame podcast. The experts from GoPowerCat.com will return with more on the PowerCat pregame podcast presented by Robbins Motor Company. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. Chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. We now send it back to the PowerCat podcast. Joining you once again, it's Tim Fitzgerald and Go PowerCat football analyst Marcus Watts. Welcome back to the PowerCat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company, the dedicated team of automotive professionals at Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat will match you with a vehicle that suits your lifestyle and budget. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the PowerCat pregame podcast. If they matched up our next guest with the perfect car, it would be able to get good gas mileage and be cool. It's Marcus Watts. He drives a lot with his job, and he's still cool. It'd be better if it fly. 
it'd be better if it was a time transporter and you could just <laughs> like zip from true. place to place. I'm ready for this. I really thought by now in my lifetime, we'd be further along the road than having a mobile phone with three cameras. I thought we'd have a personal handheld device to transport us around the world. That's me, though. I watch Star Trek. Yeah, we're a long ways away from that, but I know. carry on. I'm, just so, I'm so disappointed in that. But I'm not disappointed in K-State football, even though the Wildcats lost last week at Texas 27-24. They went toe-to-toe with the Texas team. That honestly had a little more scrap in it than I expected. I thought if K-State could get up early, Texas might break. K-State got up early. Texas didn't break. Texas had a good game plan once they got settled in, and Longhorns just run blitzed the heck out of K-State's offense, and it worked well enough to win. And then the game really for me came down to that third and 14 when K-State blitzed like heck, and it didn't work, and Sam Ellinger completed a first down pass. For me, that was the game right there. K-State gets that to work. They punt, get the punt, and I think K-State maybe, win, maybe wins that game. Yeah, K-State, I mean, this this last week's game is a first quarter of you're doing everything right. Um, you know, I think they knew coming into the game with the defense that Texas runs, you know, the 3-4, which K-State has struggled with. Then their three losses, all three of the teams are in the same style of defense. And so they came out throwing the ball. And, you know, they had success in it. And that, But that's something that's not going to sustain this team. This team's not going to throw to win, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Is yeah. They have to be able to run the ball. And, you know, the first quarter they were able to do that, but they had to start running the ball some, uh, and they just couldn't do it. And then, you know, Texas started clamping down, stopped playing off coverage on the wide receivers. Uh, they looked like K-State of old playing 10 yards off and just giving them everything underneath that they wanted. And they came up, started pressing them, and – you know, it was it was a different story in the second half. Yeah, it really was. K-State case, was able to scrap back, though. Yeah, they were able to scrap back thanks to special teams, which has always been K-State's M.O. And, you know, I'm glad to see it's come back this year. You know, they've had two returns for touchdown, which is good. Um, you know, and it kept them in this game. The defense kept them in this game. Um, you know, they didn't give up the big plays, you know, besides a couple. You know, that third down 14 was a big play. But no real big plays that just like, gosh, dang it, that hurts. They made Texas earn everything. And that's something this defense has done throughout the year. You might get yardage on them, but you're going to earn it. And you're going to really struggle in third downs typically and have problems getting into the end zone. Very intriguing end of the game there where Texas clearly didn't want to score. They didn't want to leave K-State any time. They didn't want to take any chances that could lead to a turnover. They just wanted to line up and kick the field goal, and it worked. Uh, I think K-State really isn't damaged by that loss. You know, it's a missed opportunity, yes. But speaking of damaged by losses, West Virginia was kind of feeling okay about itself. And then Texas Tech rolls into town last weekend. You know, Texas Tech's very similar to West Virginia. They had very similar records, and they just knock the silly out of West Virginia. They just came out from the start and got up big and never looked back. They never relinquished the lead. That might have been it for West Virginia at 3-6 and six now. I'm going to be very interested to see what type of West Virginia team we see Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. 
I'll tell you what, that game probably surprised me most out of any game. Right. I mean, I had West Virginia winning that I game too. At, at home, Texas Tech going up to the cold weather. I don't know what the temperature was for that game. Probably was warm like everywhere else was, but Texas Tech just, I mean, they, they're like so hit and miss and one week they're really good and Jet Duffy's really good. The next week he's really bad. West Virginia's decent one week and then next week they're just god awful. And I mean, what they score on their first six possessions, they scored yeah, touchdowns. Like that. that was crazy. And you cannot win any games doing that. And West Virginia just, they got throttled. Yep. Uh, they just got throttled in that first half. And it was, it was over before it even started, it seemed like. And whatever Texas Tech wanted to do, they, they could they could do so i think it might be a little bit more difficult for k-state just because they aren't as pass happy as texas a texas tech style team is um they don't have the receivers that texas tech has uh, and they want to run the ball more and west virginia maybe is more and built that way um but k-state cannot overlook west virginia is what i'm getting at because as you can see in the big 12 any week anybody can beat anybody Anybody can play with anybody. KU almost beat Texas. So they got to come out and be ready to play. I'm very glad this game is at home. Yeah. Uh, I'd be a lot more worried about this game if it was at West Virginia. Um, so, but if K-State just continues to do what they've been doing, you know, if they can get Gilbert back this weekend, that'll be huge, which it sounds like he's going to play. Um, you know, as long as they can up front control the line of scrimmage, I think they should be able to to run the ball, control the game, uh, and come away with the W. This is a very intriguing weekend for me because you have TCU going to Tech. They're both four and five. They're kind of backs against the wall. They need to win this game if they want to stay in bowl contention. They're not eliminated with a loss, but you got to win your last two to get there. The winner's going to come out of that game in a much better situation than the loser. It's in Lubbock, so you would think maybe Tech's at an advantage there. If you're talking about a team that uh, wins at West Virginia and then beats TCU in Lubbock, and that's who K-State plays the following week, I'm going to be a little bit more worried about that game. I I think uh, Tech might be finding some rhythm if they can win Saturday against a TCU team that nobody can figure out. I just can't figure them out. Yeah, I'm always worried about Texas Tech because it's such a weird place to play. Even when you fly into the town or when you're driving through, it's just That's strange. You, you can tell there's nothing around. Yeah. Like you're just out there in the middle of nowhere. You're, you're <laughs> on a desert island. The, yeah. And the fans are probably the worst fans in the Big 12. Um, you know, not knocking all of them. So if any of them are listening, I apologize, but they're just, they're, it's a hostile just, environment. It is a very hostile environment. The stadium's weird. Uh, when you're walking under the tunnel and, and down into the field. It's just weird. You just get that weird feeling when you're there. It just almost doesn't feel like a football stadium, um, even though it is. And so, yeah, I, I mean, Texas Tech at home, you know, they play a style of offense, you know, that might be able to – that might give K-State troubles. Um, you know, they did say that their their quarterback, who I thought would be ready by this game, uh, that they were just going to redshirt him uh, so that, you know – the quarterback that's playing right now, yeah. Jet Duffy. Yeah. yeah, I think that's you know he's he's okay, but he'll make mistakes. Worry about this weekend, and then you can worry about next weekend because to get the seven wins for this team is a huge accomplishment, and I think succeeds what anybody had projected. I know, um, and even the coaches deep down might not even have projected seven wins this year. 
you know, they probably were hoping just to become bowl eligible, which they did pretty early on. Um, and now you have an opportunity to go out and win, you know, two out of your next three or all three of them for that matter, um, with how the schedule sets up. So, you know, this team could finish at nine and three, which would be an unbelievable year. Um, but you got to take one game at a time. And they, and I think the players, the coaching staff, they do a good job of, of doing that. And, you know, like coach Snyder always said, one and oh, one and oh, worry about the next game, not what is going to happen two weeks or three weeks from now. So, um, you know, they have some injuries, some players, you know, AJ Parker being out, I think hurt, uh, K state a little bit last week against Texas. I just didn't think the corners were as aggressive and as physical as they had been, um, the weeks prior to that. And I think it's probably cause you know, KV on McGee didn't want to make a mistake. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he would probably be a little bit more tentative. He might be a little bit more aggressive in this next game. So, um, just control what you control, take care of the ball like they have been. Um, and they should be able to come out with a win. If you're a defensive coordinator, do you just try to replicate what Texas did with that run blitz over and over and over? Oh, yeah, I would go three-man front all day against K-State yeah. right now. I yeah, think even if that's not my thing, front, i do it, yeah. With the three-man front, I think why K-State struggles with it. And now you have to have a nose guard that can handle it. It's all dependent on how, how your nose guard is. If you have a great nose guard that's really big, that's really strong, that can take up two guys, you can be successful. I don't think K-State's offensive linemen are athletic enough in the teams that they've played to be able to get to the second level before the second level has already read the play and is in the right hole. Right. And I think that's where K-State has struggled. And I don't think it's scheme or anything like that. I just think it's this offensive line is not athletic enough to be able to compete with the linebackers that Texas has and Oklahoma State uh, and even Baylor, the athletes that they have at those positions. Now, I'm not for sure. I haven't watched West Virginia's linebackers too close. but Well, they're in a traditional four-man nickel alignment typically so it won't be anything too foreign for k-state it's a young inexperienced lacking depth of defense so all of that i think plays in k-state's hand when you just look at this game marcus this is one k-state should win and win handily and move on yeah they should but if they win by five seven i wouldn't be surprised yeah that's just this is it's just how the conference is you know one week k-state looks like they're unbeatable okay, like against Oklahoma for three quarters or three, two and a half quarters, uh, you know, and then one week they just against Oklahoma state, they just look terrible on offense. Um, and so I don't know what K-State team is going to show up. I know the defense is going to show up. I know that they're going to play well. They're not going to give up too many big plays unless the teams have to run trick plays. Um, that seems to be the only way that they can get over the top on K-State secondary. Uh, but you know, they should win this game by two touchdowns or more, honestly, at home in front of your crowd. It's going to be a good crowd. The weather's going to be nice. Um, it should be a fun atmosphere. And, you know, this team's to get to seven wins. That's what they want to get to right now, you know, because they know that seven wins gets you to maybe eight wins, you know. And so the, you play to win the game and they're going to come out and do everything they can. And these coaches have had them ready every week. And now we turn our attention to Brian Hanley, our football analyst out of the great state of Texas. 
Former offensive lineman on that 97 and 98 teams. Those 97 and 98 teams, I should say. Uh, you got to see this K-State-Texas game in person in the wonderful, weird place of Austin, Texas. We all agree around the office that that was a weird game. It was just like K-State's good, K-State's bad, K-State's better, K-State loses. It just was a strange, strange game to watch or cover or whatever your role was in that one. What were your thoughts on that K-State 27-24 loss? Yeah, it was, it was a weird game. I mean, they came out of the game like gangbuster, and I thought, okay, we're going to blow them out. And then for, I don't know, what the three-minute mark from the first quarter till about the middle of the fourth quarter, we did nothing. And I was like, okay, we couldn't run it. And Texas owned the line of scrimmage. And then we kind of took over, and then we just couldn't stop them at the end. It was just a weird game. You would think if somebody turned on the game with about eight minutes to go, the way that going up and down, they would have thought the game was 50 to 50. And it wasn't. And so it was just a, it was just literally just a weird game that it's kind of like teams got them figured out at the end of the game. But overall, I thought it was a great effort. I mean, the guys played hard. Uh, but I believe that it's a game that we should have won. And that's why I was really disappointed because I thought that we were better. Th- I still think that we're better than Texas. We didn't necessarily play our best, but I believe we're better than Texas is. I just I wholeheartedly believe it. I saw it in person. I saw man for man, and we are a better football team than they are. They just made a couple more plays than we did. Yeah, and they've got great athletes. And to Tom Herman's credit, he turned that game into a game of – athletic prowess because he just started bum rushing that offensive line for Kansas State with zone blitz after run blitz after you know outside blitz it just they just overwhelmed the K-State front and K-State couldn't overcome that I'm not sure they're going to see anyone else this season that can fully replicate what Texas did based on athleticism but I expect other teams, starting with West Virginia, to run blitz the hell out of this K-State offense after what happened for a good chunk of that game. Yeah, that's definitely something that we're going to see. Um, and so we just have to just understand. And I thought we got away from just, you know what, throw the ball every down because they just refused to let us run the football. And I thought, you know what, because, I mean, we didn't give up a ton of sacks, so I thought we can block them. Let's just throw it and let's just see what happens. Just throw it every down. Well, then we kind of, I guess, got into that a little bit. And but it was just a weird game. But we're definitely going to see that going down down the stretch here. Um, but teams aren't going to be as good as Texas is, especially athletically. Yeah. Uh, and so I feel like K State. If that does happen, first of all, I believe that K State will be better prepared. Um, so that's another one thing. We're going to be better prepared to block those kinds of things and have schemes to go against those. Because it's not that you can't run it against them. You just have to be prepared into what we should run against that. So I think we'll be fine moving forward. I would agree with that. Skylar Thompson was pretty darn good throwing the ball on Saturday. Yeah, he was. I think that's a positive sign. And will also give reason for pause for opposing defensive coordinators just to try to take away the run because he can make you pay in the pass. Yeah, he can. He played well. Uh, like I said, it, it, or like you said, threw the ball well, completed a good percentage. You know, I think we just should have done more of it. Uh, you know, because at some point you just, hey, if we're going to move the football, we just got to throw it and we just got to move it through the air every down. It doesn't matter if they know that we're co- that it's coming or not. 
maybe we'll get sacked a couple of plays, but it, it to me, and I don't want to be too critical because I thought the guys played very, very hard. It just seemed like we kind of gave away a few possessions by trying to run the football when we knew it wasn't going to work. And I'm not saying that coaches go into something and say, oh, this is never going to work, but it just wasn't the right plays at the right time. I just thought, you know, let's take a step forward and let's just do something different. But Skyler played outstanding. Yeah, the adjustments didn't quite work, and I think you're right. They'll be able to step back now and realize, okay, this is what we need to do in these situations, or these are this is a palette of things we can try and find something that works. Correct. And I think they'll be prepared for West Virginia if that's what they opt to do. Overall, Kansas State uh, played toe-to-toe with Texas. I've said it a couple times yeah, now. Did. It was the mirror image of the Mississippi State game. Fast yep. start, had to fell behind, had to rally using a kickoff return for a touchdown, and at the end, K-State made the play in Mississippi State, and Texas made the play in Austin, and uh, they just didn't quite work out the same way. But uh, I thought the defense overall against a pretty darn good Texas offense Played a good game. I mean, they they got hurt by the run a little bit more than I would expect. Some of the missed tackle things came back. With Sam Ellinger, didn't really hurt them with the run. He threw the ball adequately well, even with A.J. Parker gone, though. K-State's defense didn't get torched. The one throwing touchdown was on a flea flicker, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. Um, so this defense continues to acquit itself pretty well, and and I think that's a really positive sign as they head down the home stretch with some more, I don't want to say winnable games, but better matchups, possibly. Right. Yeah. I mean, they played the defense. I thought played well. Um, they came out, they played hard. That, I mean, that's the first thing that you're asking play hard. They were in position. It's kind of what you said. Some of the missed tackles came up and, you know, running backs were able to get more yards and, that was troubling, but at the same time, we stopped them. You know, like I said, if you would have picked up the game middle of the fourth quarter, you'd have thought Texas and K-State both would have had 50 points. And the way that we were going up and down the field, and that wasn't the case. We were able, it was bending, but we were, you know, we stood our ground, uh, got some punts, forced a turnover, you know, and the game could have got away from us, and they didn't allow that. The defense played very, very well, I thought. I think it, it's going to bode well going down the stretch because while we're going to see some other offenses and some other offenses are going to be good, I don't know that they're going to bring the kind of athletes that Texas can put on the football field. As a matter of fact, I know so. They're just not going to be able to do that, the teams that we have are many. Now, they're going to be good teams, don't get me wrong, especially Iowa State. But at the same time, it's just games that K-State is going to be able to compete. We know that we can compete in these games. So it's the confidence level of the guys is going to be sky high, which is going to be good. Just get the tackling a little bit more sound, and we are going to be fine. Over the course of its season, West Virginia has not been good offensively. I was struck by what happened last Saturday. K-State plays a good game but loses narrowly at Texas, West Virginia plays host to Texas Tech and got smacked upside the head early. They tried to come back, but they lose what, 38-17 or something like that. They were never really in that game after Tech started scoring. The word fragile is being used in Morgantown for a young team that is kind of worn out by a season with a 3-6 and six record. I really thought Texas would break at the 14-0 mark. Maybe they would have broken at 21-0. Their resiliency kind of surprised me. This game, though, I think if K-State jumps on West Virginia, the Mountaineers won't have a whole lot of fight. Yeah, they, they. I'm not saying they're a team that's quit, 
but I think they're a team that understands you get behind. I think they they understand they don't have the kind of firepower to be able to come back. So if K-State gets out on them, jumps out on them early and does what we're supposed to do, I don't see West Virginia putting up a whole lot of fight. It's just, it's gotten to that time of the year. You know which teams are doing it and which teams aren't. And I just believe that that's the case. We get out early. We do what we're supposed to do. And I believe, uh, you know, it'll be good. It's a good thing. So I'm never going to say that a team quit until you actually watch it. Cause I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy, yeah. but at the same time, you, when you get into a football game and you, you see it, you, kids know that when, when there's no hope, they understand. It usually doesn't happen. Kind of what you said, it's seven, nothing, 14, nothing, but you get to 21, nothing. And the kids kind of start to lose hope. So they understand that. So hopefully K-State can jump out on it and then just turn it on from there. But more importantly, I just hope they play well. I agree. West Virginia dead last in scoring offense in the Big 12. They're at 19.8 in conference games. Uh, they're going to have to put up a lot of points with a questionable quarterback situation and a defense that gets worn down by the course of a game because they lack depth, much like K-State in some ways. I feel like this is a game K-State should win and win easily, and that alone gives me reason to kind of feel uneasy about this game because it just seems like a K-State victory, and in this conference, that never is true. Nothing is for certain in the Big 12 Conference the way these teams match up and I'm in, I'm going to be really fascinated to see how this game actually plays out. Well, the thing is, is if K-State can come out and control the line of scrimmage, yep. then everything will be fine. That was the thing of last week. Even we got out early, but K-State did not control the line of scrimmage on either side, you know, and it was a testament to how hard the guys were playing that we didn't get blown out. This week, if we come out and control the line of scrimmage, and it might be a 28-10 game, but it may not even feel that it's that close if we're just moving, constantly moving up and down the field and stop what they're doing. And I'll be fine with that. But I think K-State's got to get back to to what we do best, obviously running the football. Uh, We got a little injury bug, you know, with the running back situation, so that's hurt us a little bit. And I agree, last week we didn't run Skyler a whole lot. I don't think that's the answer. I'll be honest. That's not the answer to run the quarterback 25 times. I know we did it against Kansas and that's something different. But against other teams, you can't just get away with running your quarterback. I don't want to get away with running our quarterback that many times. I don't want to do that. You know, get him eight to ten carries a game. That's plenty. And let the other guys do the rest. But if the line controls the line of scrimmage and the defense does their job, get to their fits, then this game will be fine. But if not, then you're right. It does scare you. But we got to just come out and do what we do. And if we do that, the game will be okay. Very good. Thank you, Mr. Brian Hanley. You will meet up with me for the post-game podcast. And uh, neither one of us were available for last week's post-game podcast. Riley Gates handled that solo. Did a fine job. I'm going to say it. It's back to the A-team. Sorry, Riley. We're back in (laughs) after K-State plays West Virginia on Saturday afternoon at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Now we bring in Kelly Stewart, known as Kelly in Vegas on social media. 
She starred in the Showtime series Action. You all know this. You listen to this every week. And we have Kelly on. She's from wagertalk.com. And you can also find her doing stuff for Bleacher Report, just tearing it up with her picks over there. And, of course, we will have a video later, I think, this week. And some more information from our good friends at Wager Talk. Kelly, 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 I didn't get to see you when I was in Vegas, but you saw everyone else I traveled with. Well, that's not my fault. Know. You know, this is kind of what I knew was going to happen at the basketball game. Uh, KC went up 14 nothing in the football game. I was sitting in my basketball seats, kind of trying to cheer and not just continuously check scores. And, uh, yeah, that didn't last very long. No. Texas got up pretty quick, and I said, time to go to the bar at the top of the stairs and uh, hang out with all the KC football fans. I, I knew – there was a chance that was going to happen. I didn't anticipate it happening that quickly. And, uh, and then it was pretty funny because even after the basketball ended in double overtime, about 50 K-State fans were still standing around the bar. And the <laughs> bar back tried to turn the TVs off. And I said, not so fast, my friend. <laughs> we, so need this, we need this on now. That's so funny. Yeah, and I was down underneath doing post-game interviews and, and writing a story about a K-State basketball victory. It was kind of the highlight of the day because football ended up losing. Uh, a strange game. You got to watch some of it. That was just an odd football game. We're we're good. We're not that good. We're good. And uh, sometimes we beat ourselves. In this case, I think Texas was Texas. That right. we kind of thought they were all season. For uh, for lack of a better description, this they played their best game versus us. And uh, I was very happy K-State got the cover and had the opportunity to win that football game. And onward, Kansas State goes now to come home and play West Virginia. They opened at a 12-point favorite. What's this game look at right now in Vegas? Yeah, we're looking at 13 and a half, wow. 13s in some spot, Tim. Listen, this game opened actually um, a little bit lower at Circa on Sunday afternoon, and I almost hit send on playing it because I could have swore I made K-State a 13-point favorite. And I said, let me double-check my numbers really quick, and when I went back to bet it, Sure enough, it had already moved, uh, but that was okay because I actually made this game 11 and a half in favor of the Wildcats. This is a West Virginia team that has been so up and down and so inconsistent all season. I took, I think, was it almost double digits with them versus Texas, and they had an opportunity to cover and beat themselves just so badly in the fourth quarter of that game. And I just really shied away from them since, and I wanted to make a case for them at Baylor and said couldn't do it. And they took Baylor wire to wire, then to just go back home and get the crap kicked out of them by Texas Tech. So it's a really interesting dynamic here. I do think K-State is in an interesting spot here. Now with three losses on the season, now with uh, Texas, you know, Baylor, Oklahoma State was kind of an ugly loss. I think if we could play that game again, we'd probably be a much better team, including the Baylor game. The Baylor game was... The final score wasn't as indicative as how well K-State had tried to play in the first half of that. It kind of got away from them in the second. But I think that we're seeing an angry Wildcats team similar to what we saw versus Kansas. But the rivalry just isn't there. I think now we know we're definitely out of the Big 12 championship game. And at this point, hoping for nine wins, eight wins to be able to go to a pretty good bowl game. And I think that that for Chris Kleiman's first year is is good. I, I'm not going to say it's great. Of course, even Ron Prince, his first year, did well. And that is something I think other K-State fans know. You know, obviously, Kleiman inherited some really good kids, and he's been able to do what Bill Snyder's done for years, and that's to 
do more with less. So hopefully we get some good recruits for next year and we can carry this over. But I do think an eight win K-State team, I will be very happy with. Iowa State is always that tough game at the end of the season. So we'll have to see how that one plays out. But I do have us slated for W's the next two weeks. I wasn't really surprised by anything that happened last weekend in in Big 12 football. Maybe I was a little surprised at how Iowa State rallied and almost won at Oklahoma, but I was... And I wouldn't call it that. I would call that an Oklahoma choke job. Yeah, I agree. Come on, man. I laid the 14 with Oklahoma later on in the week and said, you know what? This Oklahoma team's going to come out angry and mad. And when right before game time, I played some in the first half because I go, you know what? Actually, I've seen this I've seen this before where Oklahoma collapses and enough. They did that yet again. I don't understand if it's the defensive coordinator taking his foot off the gas. I don't know if it's Lincoln Riley calling off the dogs, but that was just absolutely unacceptable. By the end, I was cheering for them to lose. Yeah. I was shocked by what Tech did to West Virginia in Morgantown in that first half. They came out and kicked their teeth in and I think really changed the dynamic of West Virginia football. They had been playing good but not well enough to win and then they just got beat by a team that's pretty comparable to it in the way the Tech season's gone with the new coach, but that happened in front of the home crowd. I kind of feel like West Virginia may be just playing out the string at this point. And they and they might be, Tim. Listen, you know, they have Oklahoma Oklahoma State after us, and then at TCU, another game I just don't see them winning. So this is going to be tough. It's going to be a West Virginia team that's probably demoralized, but you never know. Sometimes good coaches are able to get their teams to rally around. Right. Uh, my co-host on my podcast, John Murray's a West Virginia alum. My girlfriend, Jackie's a West Virginia alum. And I can't get either of them to bet me on this game. That's usually like the fun thing. Like, let's bet something. And both of them feel pretty, uh, pretty low about the season that they've had. And maybe that's why we now saw Dana Holgerson run for the hills. Maybe he knew something we didn't know. Yeah, they were low on talent. There's no doubt about it. They kind of, uh, this new staff inherited a really big mess at West Virginia. I think they're going to be fine in the long run under Neil Brown, unless he bolts immediately to go to a Mississippi State if that opens up. But I I think K-State covers. I think K-State will win this game by two touchdowns or more. Yeah, and if you like K-State, you need to bet it now. It's already going to be headed to 14. I just looked offshore. We've got 14 popping up, and and that's all you're going to see this week is is K-State money. Um, just like I said, be cautious. This this Wildcats team um, is a good team, but I wouldn't be surprised to see this one be just a little bit closer than all of us are anticipating. But again, if if West Virginia's packed it in for the year, no problem. But I I, I don't know. It, it is always interesting because you mentioned Neil Brown, and I think he's a great coach. What we've been always, what we've seen him do at other programs, so he might be able to keep this team rallied just a little bit. The big game in the Big 12 is also this weekend. Oklahoma goes to Baylor. I know Baylor isn't overwhelmingly good, but the Bears are unbeaten. They find a way to who, win. Who says they're not overwhelmingly good? All I see is on Twitter. Well, well, they struggled with Rice. Why? Because they didn't beat Rice 45-0? to zero? Yeah, they. I know. But you look at those standings in the college football playoff, and they're down there still a little bit. But just like it was with Minnesota, they're waiting to see them really beat someone, and now they have their did opportunity with Oklahoma. The, did you see the tweet that I retweeted that said that basically somebody from the committee admitted that if Minnesota was named Mississippi, that they would be ranked much higher? And I think that there is a bias towards the Big Ten and the Big 12. I mean, the Pac-12, we can all agree, is 
power ratings wise much lower than the other conferences but i think the big 12 doesn't get a lot of respect now that doesn't mean i'm rushing to back baylor this week this is an interesting line here yeah. I, i'm most definitely not laying 10 on the road with oklahoma that's a crazy line it's about right tim i think that I think a ten and a half is about where I made it. I don't have my numbers right in front of me, but it's interesting. And you have to take into account the eye test as well, right? So what have we seen Oklahoma do last? Well, they lost to K-State. They had a bye week, and they should have probably lost to Iowa State. I think if they would have went to overtime, I was shocked. You know, that Matt Campbell went for two there. I understand the situation. If he gets it, if he gets it then they're heroes if he if he doesn't then the game's over so it's very interesting to me but i'm looking at this going i think it's baylor pass now you guys are going to see on twitter where i get into it with people with far too much it's going to be my new year's resolution stop arguing with idiots um <laughs> but more but more importantly i made a big case for illinois being the trendy dog of the week and nobody likes it when it's the, we call it a square dog that means the general public loves to back them and that was illinois last week versus michigan state and everything went wrong for michigan state in that game and they lost it and that's how i feel about baylor this week i think we're going to see everybody go baylor's undefeated they're catching 10 points at home this is downright disrespectful and they may get there. I don't know. It's it's tough for me. I, again, I'm not rushing to the window to back this team, but it would not surprise me to see them beat Oklahoma, and it would not surprise me to see Oklahoma beat them by 24. I come back to this. Baylor's better than Kansas State. I still think today that's true. Baylor, I believe, is better than Iowa State. And Oklahoma's had problems stopping either one of those teams. Baylor's offense isn't great, but this will be the best defense this Oklahoma offense has faced. It's an intriguing game. I would not bet 10 points for Oklahoma to win, and but uh, I do think the Sooners will win this game. Yeah, I. it's going to be a good one. I, like I said, the, I keep going back and forth because I know what the map says. I know what the eye test says, and the eye test says that Oklahoma is – Unfortunately for them, having a down year. Right. They really are. You know, and that's a problem for Baylor because even if they win this game, it's easy for the committee to go, yeah, Oklahoma is in Oklahoma. That's their second loss. Yep. They're not very good. We're not going to move you up like we rewarded Minnesota for beating Penn State. Full slate of games in the Big 12. Anything else jump out at you? We got KU at Oklahoma State. I'd rather not watch that. We got TCU at Tech. I have no idea how that one will go. And then maybe the only other good game of note is Texas at Iowa State. Money's coming in on Texas early. This one opened seven down to six and a half. Be real careful here with this Texas at Iowa State. I, I like to bet against ranked teams catching points. Texas still in the top 25 now, back in the top 25 after beating Kansas State. So they're, like I said, this is a Texas team that has showed some moments of greatness this year. We saw it against LSU. Uh, we saw it against Oklahoma. Oklahoma allowed them to hang around in that game as well. When, If you look at the numbers, Oklahoma should have beat them off the field. But this is a, a very scrappy Texas team, but just tread lightly if you're looking to back them this weekend. I'm not rushing to the window to lay points here with Iowa State. Just know that I think Iowa State will get the win here. Texas Tech, I did play plus three. I, I like this Red Raiders team, and I'm not sure about TCU. This is a TCU team that beat Texas at home, that lost to Kansas State, that has just been all over the map. This is a Texas Tech team that I think got 
some feel good last weekend after being able to beat up on uh, West Virginia. And I think it carries over into this weekend against in-state rival TCU. I think them playing three on the road just doesn't make sense to me. I made this game Texas Tech minus one. So I'm already on that one. And as far as the rest of the Big 12, again, I don't think I'm going to get to the window on any of these games. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird, weird week. But, you know, it's Big 12 football. It is down this year, and Kansas State is able to take advantage of that in some areas. But I'll say this, K-State wins this weekend, and Tech beats TCU. That becomes a very intriguing game next week in Lubbock between the Cats and the Red Raiders. Absolutely. I, you know, I always find it interesting when K-State goes to play at Lubbock, they always seem to bring their best game, and I hope that that continues. Like I said, I, I think this is going to be an eight-win K-State team. The Iowa State game is going to be a toss-up. Her name's Kelly Stewart, and she's a K-Stater, and boy, if you need some gambling advice, she's your lady. You're a nice lady. Nice lady. Yeah, somebody said something earlier about people being <laughs> fake on social media, and I go, I'm a lot nicer in person than I am on social media. <laughs> hey, you got to be a tiger sometimes. I've been having my little Twitter battles this week, and I oddly have enjoyed it. It's just a strange thing. Sometimes it's a good laugh. Sometimes you just got to let it go. Well, we've heard from the Go Power Cat staff as well as our GPC analysts and Chris Anderson from the West Virginia 24-7 Sports Network site. Coming off that loss at Texas, Kansas State toppled to 24 in the college football playoff rankings. Now the Cats come home for their first of two games in Manhattan in the season's final three weeks. And they face the West Virginia Mountaineers. Subscribers to GoPowerCat.com can read my five keys to victory analysis Friday at GPC. But in a minute, I will give you my prediction for this game. As we wrap up this week's PowerCat pregame podcast, sponsored by Robbins Motor Company, where they strive to earn lifetime business and build relationships, selling quality cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, and offering top-notch parts and service, I remind you that a subscription to GoPowerCat.com now comes with a free, no-ads subscription to CBS's all-access streaming service. It adds more than $100 of value when you sign up for our award-winning coverage of K-State sports at GoPowerCat. And don't miss out because these are fun times to be a K-State fan. And make sure you listen to the PowerCat post-game podcast sponsored by Caddyshack Golf after Saturday's game, I will be joined by Brian Hanley as we wrap up the day's happenings from Bill Snyder Family Stadium. And now it's time for my game prediction. And yes, the Wildcats will return to their winning ways. Kansas State 38, West Virginia 17. I'm Go Power Cat publisher Tim Fitzgerald. It's the Wildcats versus the Mountaineers Saturday at 2.30 p.m. at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. You've been listening to the PowerCat pregame podcast presented by Robbins Motor Company. PowerCat podcast, all rights reserved, gopowercat.com and Spirit Street Publishing. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.